Hello and welcome to BSI's Big Sustainability Ideas podcast, hosted by David Thatcher, Sebastian Van Dort and Nick Fleming, who between them have deep sector experience in energy, ESG, transport and mobility. The idea is an ambitious one, but simple too. Each episode, our aim is to meet with many of the biggest, most influential figures in sustainability to understand where we are, how we got here and crucially, where this fascinating topic is headed to help all of us navigate the future. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. We're reflecting here, my colleague and I, uh, Sebastian Van Dort, uh, on really the end of a year in which the words net zero have never really been far away from our reading matter here at BSI or even the the, the, the connection points with when we talk with uh, stakeholders from government, from industry, academia, uh, from civil society. It's all about net zero and the relevance, obviously, in from BSI's perspective of how standards can support organisations on accelerating the transition. But one thing I think that um, maybe isn't quite so uh, front of mind is how is this all going to get paid for and, and really who picks up the tab for, for net zero. So one thing we wanted to talk about on this net uh, on this net zero themed uh, podcast is really where, where the cost sits with uh, net zero. I'm not entirely sure we're going to be able to come up after you know half an hour of chat with definitive answers, but I think we thought we'd explore this in terms of some of the areas, um, some of the sectors that maybe have to go further faster and how that might impact on businesses, especially SMEs, but also consumers as well, and um, whose pocket gets perhaps hit hardest. I'm going to start off before I sort of perhaps throw this one slightly over to, to Seb as a a hot grenade with some um, uh, some stats which I read that came out of the uh, Climate Change Committee or the Committee for Climate Change, which is the government's UK government's independent climate advisor. Um, it estimated that uh, net greenhouse gas emissions from the UK, uh, eliminating net greenhouse gas emissions from the UK, will come with a bill of about 1.4 trillion by 2050, which is the equivalent of. Uh, £1,700 a year on average for every household. And that's on top of an estimated £3,000 increase in taxes uh, unrelated to climate change that the UK government has um, imposed over, the, over is imposing over the next few years. So yeah, clearly making the, the necessary adjustments and transitions um, will require quite a, a systematic change to the economy rewiring it, as Rishi Sunak said, for net zero. Um, and I just want to sort of yeah, put that one to Seb, really, in terms of some of the changes and some of the industries that are perhaps most likely to have to change um, fastest. Uh, and how, how does he think maybe that's going to impact on um, businesses, but also consumers? And I'm thinking in particular about the decarbonisation of energy. And ultimately, I suppose, where where standards of good practice can can perhaps soften the blow, but also um, accelerate that transition by by de-risking some innovation in the sector. So, Seb, the, the it's not a, a completely uh, impossible challenge, but it's not going to come without some short-term pain. That's for sure. What's what's your takeaway from some of these numbers that are are being sort of thrown out? Yeah, so I think for me it sort of fits very much into this sort of wider piece of a um, a just transition, and and as you say, the you know there's significant costs associated with um, <clears throat> with this transition. I mean, not to bear in mind that there's you know obviously significant sort of benefits and then and the wider reasons on on why we're doing it. I, I think the question 
um, for me is sort of what does this transition look like and how do we ensure that it's a just transition? And, you know, as you sort of alluded to, the costs sort of are, are significant. Again, you know, all of these costs are still sort of estimates at this stage, right? Because as we know from planning and then looking at HS2, sometimes, uh, you know, the, the sort of initial sort of figures, uh, you know, might, might change sort of significantly. I think for me that there is a sort of, wider question on who does it impact so you know you, you sort of can look sort of all the way up and down the sort of chain you you can look at, at, at countries companies and, and then you can even look at sort of people and citizens and obviously from the energy transition and very much a local uk point of view my, my background obviously is in social policies in you know on, on the energy side and that there's an interesting sort of aspect that you've got um there really is if you look at energy companies, they've got social policies like things like the energy company obligation. Back in the day when I worked into it, the Green Deal, but also, you know, let's say, the smart meter rollout, warm homes discount. And and all of those are sort of paid for via the bills. And, and some people negatively sometimes call them sort of stealth taxes. But but obviously, it's, it's a cost on, on top of your, your energy bill. And, and then the question is, well, who pays for those um, uh, policies? And... Oftentimes, when we look at sort of big transition schemes, it's, um, you know, the question of who pays for it needs to be sort of front of mind. Because if we look at, let's say, decarbonisation of transport, you look at, um, um, you know, the ultra low emission zone, the congestion charges, who's disproportionately most affected by it, it would be sort of those that are at least able to afford it. And, and, And that's sort of the question with sort of, the energy transition, we know there are significant costs associated to that. If we look at the rollout for electric vehicles and we look at um, installing uh, EV charge points, how do you ensure that those least able to afford um, you know, an upgrade in transport are able to to not disproportionately pay for this? And, and, and so there are sort of wider questions. There, there aren't sort of any very sort of clear answers that, that I've got sort of in, in, in my back. But, but I think, you know, that that should be sort of top of mind and, and obviously that, that's sort of from a you know people and citizens point of view you have to say if you look at let's say companies um you know if we look at a sort of just transition what does that look like we know that a lot of large corporations um are able to to you know partake in sustainability initiatives because they have got the resources to do so but but, but how does that work for for SMEs or, or you know small medium enterprises or, or one-man bands you know, you can also look at companies that are sort of working in, in, in the fossil fuel sector. How, how do you transition them out, out of the fossil fuel rather than leaving them out to dry, right? And then if you look at, at countries, the, the, the thing that I've generally been quite sort of, um, I suppose, obsessed with is, is probably the right word, is, is for a long time I've looked at this sort of transition and thinking, actually, there are big geopolitical ramifications to, to the transition to net zero um, because you have... Um, countries which are wholly dependent on on fossil fuels, what, you know, like a, a, such a large proportion of their GDP comes from that sector. What if you transition completely away from fossil fuels? Um, what does that mean to, to the population, to, to their to their income? Um, again, even if you look at let's say coal, you know, COP twenty six. Uh, you know, pushed for for a strong sort of phase down of coal. What does that le- where does that leave those economies that are you know strongly dependent on, on on that sector? And I think that there is when you look at a just transition, 
it is sort of recognising that A, it's a transition and B, how do you support, you know, those countries, companies and, and citizens to, to be able to, to make that um, make that transition, really? I think you're right. I think that I think, um, and this is slightly going back to the, the, the podcast we did on uh, COP26, but you're right about the fact that and I should know the exact sort of wording, but you you picked up on it. It was the the difference and the nuance between phasing out and phasing down, wasn't it, in terms of fossil fuels, which was a, a little bit of a well, quite a significant uh, fig leaf of, of sorts over the fact that you know there are developing economies that actually are saying, well, hang on, we've not been able to industrialize at the same spe- over the same period of time as the kind of global north, and yet now you're shutting down our ability to do that by saying you need to transition to cleaner energy. Therefore, that's why phasing down rather than phasing out was was the preferred language, I think, in that sense. But it's almost like that kind of um, re, you know upside down triangle. You've got the just transition at that hugely macro level, as you say, between almost you know, north and south hemispheres. Then I think you, I guess, you have a just transition between large corporates and then SMEs. And then it also boils down, as you say, to to the citizen. And, and there are going to be some people. I mean, here we're talking specifically about energy, but but whether it's um, making choices in terms of maybe the food we have, which is coming from more sustainable sources, um, which is not a net zero topic as such, but it's again the fact that, well, some individuals are able to say, do you know what, I can spend a bit more on that particular staple bit of my diet because I know I can... Um, you know, I can do that with a kind of maybe healthier conscience because I can go that little bit further. Other people can't make those choices. So I think you're right. I mean, the word levelling up and just transition seem to be phrases that perhaps politicians do like to throw around a bit. And I, do, is there one particular part of the just transition, having almost shied away from using it, I'm now putting it back in a question to you, where you feel the biggest impact can be made in terms of supporting the transition is is it for example energy and then when you talk about energy rather than say um you know um uh, the the car industry is within industry in energy is it um getting businesses to move on to um you know renewables or is it actually helping householders and retrofit and and where do you think the the biggest um you know success and and progress can be made or is it a very holistic thing where we just need to do this all it needs to be happening all at the same time but in different sort of um increments i have got some some thoughts on that really and and this is not to sort of um so so, so there's two sort of things that i've thought that i've got and, and then one is sort of a national standards development piece and, and then it's not because we are the nsb but i generally think that there is a sort of um a piece there but but I, i'll get on to that um in um in a minute for me it is not just a sector piece because i think you know a just transition you know energy sort of leads that transition if if you like because if you want to reach net zero you have to decarbonize your energy supplies pretty much one of your first sort of steps and and, then you know um so in, in that sense it's sort of leading from um that piece but but for me there is um you know that there are sort of two things one is you need to look much more holistically, right? Um, but 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 one of the things is you need to sort of have this front of mind. And I think early action can minimise a negative impact. I think if I look at the just transition and the sort of, you know, there's opportunities and threats, right? So, so the opportunities are, you know, we're going to have a rapid increase in changes in, in our society that's going to sort of increase. That brings with it a lot of new, exciting Economic slash business opportunity, 
we can also restructure society to be sort of much more inclusive, less sort of winner takes all. And, and I think, you know, a lot of these sort of tough questions are being asked. At the same time, if you don't get it right, you, you can really look at, you know, the cost of the transition, who is paying for that. And as you say, some people can afford that more than others. And, and, and so if you sort of draw that to its natural conclusion, you might sort of exacerbate social inequality. And particularly in, in, in the times that we're at, you know, throw in a pandemic and, and you know, excessive... Well, um, and and um, you know, in, in inflationary environment, you know, you've got a sort of potential sort of mix there. So, with that in in mind, for me, one thing is sort of early action. You know, if you sort of focus on this early, particularly when you look at policy setting and you have it front of mind, you can minimise some of those negative impacts or or even avoid them. Um, and you need to have that consideration into you know policy setting and and regulation and and everything that that you sort of do there and you know that includes sort of you know looking at those least able to pay vulnerable customers in, into this process. The the other thing and and this is not a sort of plug for um, BSI but but I've been thinking about sort of standards creation and national standards and and obviously the difference is. You know, if you write technical standards, you, you can have a lot of sort of engineers who, who come up and then address a sort of complex problem. I do think whereas national standards, you have the sort of wider sort of consensus process, you have a wider stakeholder involvement. I think if you look at a national transition, it's going to be key to not only have these sort of technical experts, but also have the policy setters, academia, but most importantly, consumer interest groups. And then obviously, with most of the standards that we do, you have, or all of the standards that we do, you have that um, public round of consultation. And, and so for me, what that does, it does reflect sort of the wider society's views into that, that standards making process. And, and to me, you know, that, that wider voice is, you know, societal voice into some of these things is going to be sort of you know, very, very important, really. And, you know, it, it's it's a long journey. So so the more we can encourage that sort of debate, that consensus and, and that wider view, that will, will be essential to sort of ensure a, a just transition. But, um, yeah, make no mistake, that is, um, you know, that it is a sort of big, big sort of challenge. I, I think, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. I was going to say that, we, you know, we need to maybe as bring it back to keep it, you know, focus on the standards. I mean, I know that you and the team you work with have been, uh, you know, with a kind of laser light intensity sort of focused in the last year on a number of decarbonisation projects relating to energy. And one of those is hydrogen. Now, I know as someone who's just um, been having some work done on on my house, how we just, I've just moved to a different kind of boiler, which is, which is obviously not of that new generation of boilers, because those, I guess, aren't really perhaps widely available yet. So I'm sticking with something which is old school, but at some point in the next 10 years, um, or actually, I think it was probably maybe from 2030, I forget now, I get my my electric vehicles and my kind of combi boilers confused in terms of when phase out begins. But at some point, that will become something that needs to be transitioned. Uh, so I, I move into a different kind of heating system. Um, that then brings cost back to me, I suppose. But where where do you feel that since we're talking about who pays, obviously standards directly don't ha- have a, an impact on that. But I suppose they help to remove some of the uncertainty on when technology is then mainstreamed and 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 developed at scale. I mean, is there a way you can talk about that regarding the hydrogen project you're working on? Well, so hydrogen probably slightly slightly less, but I can talk about that in in a more general term. But actually, it depends on how you look at a just transition, right? So if you look at let's say vulnerable customers, if they have or um, you know, if you design um, EV charge points, you talked about decarbonisation of, of transport and, and electric vehicles. If you design um, 
EV charge points so they're non-accessible um, or, or you know for, for vulnerable customers, then you know you 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 put a threshold in place for vulnerable customers to take up electric vehicles. Now, if if you then look at sort of policy incentives on on how you'd imagine we're going to start incentivize people to start switching to electric. Um, you know, we already talked about the ultra-low emission zone congestion charge. You, you, you think that as we reach 2030, when we ban combustion engines and uh, or new uh, the sale of new um, vehicles can't be combustion engines, but they have to be hybrid or, or electric by 2030. Um, you'd imagine that there might be more incentives in place, right? And, and if you put any sort of thresholds in place for, let's say, vulnerable customers or those least able to afford it, you know, if, if the middle classes are able to afford it, but those on the lower wage are unable to afford it, again, you then disproportionately incentivize one part of society to be able to enjoy the benefits while another part of society subsidizes that. Your, your boiler is, is probably also a good example because, again, at some point, you, you might be in that lucky position to, to be able to afford, let's say, uh, um, an air source heat pump, ground source heat pump to, to sort of heat your home and change your heating system. Again, you might, you know, that might be conscious choice because you, you're able to afford it. But again, those least able to afford it will be um, having a conventional gas boiler. And at some point, that might become less economical to run, but they still can't pay for the upgrade. So again, if you look at sort of policy, how do we incentivize um consumers to switch to sort of cleaner sources of you know domestic heating you've got to take into account that that, that um, part of society that that is unable to, to sort of make that transition and 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 how do you sort of sort of reflect that and and, and that just transition sort of look, looks wider than, than just affordability but it also looks at sort of vulnerability etc I think what the conversation we're having now is reminding me of a, of a conversation I had talking to somebody from the Energy Systems Catapult, which is, um, what you, you would know more about that than I do, actually, but it's a, a sort of Innovation UK um, uh, funded, uh, you know, sort of cohort of industry, academia and, and, and sort of business groups. And, and obviously BSI has been quite heavily involved in, in supporting some of the uh, Innovate UK's uh, ambition regarding sort of uh, decarbonisation. And this was relating to energy. And the individual said that when they first came into the energy systems catapult, they thought, well, what I'll be doing here is probably recruiting a lot of technologists. And then because of the issue about energy poverty, they realised as, as fast as that innovation goes, you can't leave people behind. So therefore, they need to also be recruiting not just technologists, but also sociologists. And it makes me think in our world of standards that rightly, when we convene a group of people to help shape an individual standard or a standards program, we look to those in policy because they've got that sort of you know direction of travel to 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 um, speak of. Uh, regulators obviously play a huge part so in this context, more like Ofgem. Industry uh, is also very important, as is academia. We often t- talk about the consumer voice, but I'm wondering whether what we need to do in standards is also recognise that you know the, the voice of the almost the economist or even the sociologist is actually quite critical as well, because whilst the, t- the documents we're developing are typically quite technical, I feel that some of those programmes need to have some kind of input from, from, from those experts who can, who can sort of you know, nudge it along from a, a, a different perspective. I don't know whether you, you agree that we need to be thinking more, include, more um, you know, throw the net kind of wider in terms of who we can sort of at least engage with to make them aware of our programmes, if not sit around the table, you know, drafting a standard which might not be exactly what they want to be spending their time doing but just having a better idea of how the work we're doing can inform 
the work they're doing and, and the work they're doing can inform the, the standards we're developing. Yeah, and, and, and I suppose we sort of do that in a sense, but we, yeah, I suppose we can always sort of in, in, improve on that. Um, yeah, I suppose for me, a sort of good good example, um, I, I suppose, is the Energy Smart Appliances Programme of Works and, and, and the sort of wider sort of just transition. Obviously, the Energy Smart Appliances Programme of Work that we look at looks, you know, sets the framework for the Monsat response and um, uh, established what is an energy smart appliance and how does it uh, talk to the grid. And obviously, one, one important aspect of that would be, um, you know, your... Um, the enablement of vehicle to grid where you plug your car in and, and it talks to the grid and instead of you going onto the um, um, onto the grid at peak times you can use the charge in your car to take the peak load of, of, of the grid so it's a very sort of important sort of standard again to me it, it feels like a lot of what we do brings that those sort of right view, views into that because we've got the experts but we also have the consumer interest groups and, and you have that sort of view of well how do a variety of different consumers are, are able to sort of um, um, use this and, and again particularly sort of vulnerable customers how, how can we make sure that 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 they can can use this when when you know we, we do start enabling uh, energy smart appliances and, and and they can work across this this sort of standard so for me that wider stakeholder view is uh is something that that we do very well i, I would you know if, if i sort of may, may may say so but but i think what what sort of you're saying is sort of leads me wider to uh, or, or leads me to a view of um, that sort of whole systems thinking, right? Because some of the standards are so specific, but actually they fit into a more holistic whole, right? And 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 when you look at a sort of just transitions, like, well, how do all of these standards, and, and, and this is why, you know, when we're talking sort of in energy and the work we're trying to do is sort of very much position us sort of at the forefront to say, take that whole systems view into account, take all of those views. And and as you say, economists have have sort of that, that view, um, to, to sort of play, but it's sort of that wider stakeholder. Again, you know, like the way I see standards is to enable that piece, right? If we're trying to transition to, to net zero, where do we need standards to enable? And then which parts of society do we need to sort of take with us? And in the transition to net zero, that's pretty much every layer of society, right? And it's taking all of those views into account and then reaching that consensus to make sure that that every view has been considered. And, and I suppose, I'm not trying to sort of do a marketing picture for BSI, but, you know, they, they sort of, two-year sort of review period on, 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 on passes and, and, and stuff and, you know, make sure that, that actually you've got that wider public view. But then, you know, after two years, you can update it as well because some of the areas that we're working in, particularly in energy, are very much emerging areas, right? So, so you don't know at, at point A mm. where that might um, might lead to in, in, in two years' time, particularly in, in you know, smart appliances. How, how will the market develop? Because you do have to take a bit of a punt to think, you know, you make some assumptions on consumer behaviour and it might not be exactly what you sort of anticipated um, that to be. In, t in terms of the, the, the notion of sort of softening the blow, in terms of the transition, having a, a price tag attached to it, I mean, there'd, there'd be some obviously that would say, well, this is entirely something, you know, a bill that the government needs to pick up. And I think, you know, whatever colour rosette the government has, it's unlikely that, that any would actually say, yeah, this is all on us. So there's going to have to be some, uh, some private sector investment. Now, in a way, with, say, energy and uh, you mentioned about transport, that's going to come from within those industries they're the ones that are are putting the, the, the you know the, the investment in in terms of the innovation but i guess the financial sector has a part to play here because it can support or rather complement um any investment that 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 um, the public sector puts in via you know treasury um 
some work we we've been doing for the last 18 months and this came to came to light um and the spotlight shone on it at, at, at the finance day uh in cop which was the the third day november the third was um our own sustainable finance program and i think what i got out of um, hosting an event there was the real need for good practice and common terminology to support how the private sector specifically the um you know the, the financial sector can invest in innovation and we're talking here about net zero so it's innovation that's going to you know, accelerate that transition with some degree of assurance and the phrase you know keep coming back to is this idea of de-risking investment so do you also feel that um and, yeah, and have you got any you know experience of of where you know investment has come from um outside of the sector um but done so because standards have provided that guarantee that actually this this kit works, this can deliver, and that then accelerates um, where that, that, that sort of uh, private sector investment from either, either infrastructure um, uh, investments or, you know, or the pension funds and what have you. It's, it's back to your point before, isn't it? It's a really systems-based approach. This can't be just done by one particular um, uh, you know, group working in isolation. It has to be done um, across the board. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a few sort of quite a few sort of questions I, I or quite a few thoughts I had when you were sort of talking there. One is if you say, well, if, if government pays, ultimately that that's still, you know, that, that that's the important part because you know you and I and wider society still pays for that if government pays for that, right? Like that that money comes from somewhere, and and so that, that is the sort of interesting part of of all of this. If and again, if you say, well, you know, if the energy companies will pay for the infrastructure upgrades, that all goes back onto consumer bills, right? So. You know, and, and, and that's sort of the, the sort of whole wider thing with this sort of just transition. You say, well, this sector is going to foot the bill. That comes back onto um, consumers. And, and so to, and, and, and this is why you sort of have to be sort of careful to say, well, how how do we sort of, you know, um, pay for that? Because if we say, well, it's all going to go into taxation. Well, you know, I said higher tax, a higher pay tax rates or is that, you know, immediate, and, and so there's all of these sort of wider societal questions that you have to start thinking through to say, well, and, and again, how do we make sure that those um, on, on lower incomes do not disproportionately pay a larger part for this? Because if you sort of, you know, put it all, all on, on, on sort of a wider taxation thing and, and you know, again, in, in a lot of the social policies that I sort of work in initially, it, it sort of was aimed at fuel poor households, but, but they ended up paying disproportionately because they underheat their homes and, and, and therefore sort of were sort of charged more. So, you know, that that is sort of the big sort of um um that is the sort of big question. I do think, you know, where standards play in is sort of that de-risking of investment is is exactly where, particularly as we're emerging and we that much needed innovation into net zero, that's really where sort of standards uh, I feel provide that. Again, a good example of, of where that, where I sort of personally have come across that is past 2013, the retrofits sort of uh, agenda. Again, that was uh, the area that I looked at was the energy company obligation where energy companies retrofit homes to make them more energy efficient. And, and they followed a um, um, the, the standard past 2030 to, to make sure that, that the in installations were of, of good sort of quality. Uh, and, and then they would be, uh, be sort of signed, signed off by, by an assessor. Again, that wasn't necessarily to de-risk, but that was to provide that sort of quality assurance to say that what 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 goes on the wall, um, you know, if, if this insulation is installed according to, to this standard, we, we know that it's it's installed in a sort of uh, 
correct way that we know guarantees the longest sort of um, payback period or the shortest payback period in the longest lifetime of, of, of that sort of product. And we know that it's all sort of okay. So yeah, for me that there's a big sort of question as particularly as the energy system as you know, we're changing different models, decentralized energy, local um, energy generation, I think standards provide a, a, a yeah, it, as we say that absolutely sort of essential mechanism to sort of, uh, you know, enable that's that sort of transition to, to sort of take place and, and for private investment to, to to have confidence that they back something that it's it's following good practice really. And and you mentioned, I think, uh, yeah, past 2030 there. And, and um, I think you mentioned previously, I don't think I maybe knew that about uh, your 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 time before BSI working in a sort of, in a, a space which was, I guess, energy social policy, which is interesting because it's obviously very much what we're talking about now. That past 2030, as I recall, um, came out of um, during, and it seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? But the the, well, the, yeah. the consortium, uh, consortium, the coalition government of, of the Conservatives and Lib Dems, and very much, as I recall, I think uh, perhaps a, a policy that the Lib Dems, when they were in that sort of minority um, partner partnership within that that um, coalition government, were keen to push forward. Um, it, does that not almost suggest sometimes that that and, and the fact that then Green Deal doesn't kind of really exist anymore? It, we're we're still very much down to the whims of you know who's in power and and a, a, a certain short termism about government. Do you do you feel having you know, being through that period, having got that energy social policy lens you've applied previously, do you feel that where we are heading in this this most vital of decades, you know, the, the decade of, of, of action, the 2020s, um, you know, we know that the current government's going to, I guess, be in power for, uh, although sometimes it can seem like it's a case of uh, day by day, um, but certainly yeah, until, I don't know, 2024, the next election, um, do you have a lot of confidence that that the the, the the policy signals you're seeing are going to be uh, there over the next half a decade and 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 then be renewed and and re- reinvigorated because uh, it's only going to maybe you know take a change of of administration to maybe set things back or set things in a different direction. No, I, I don't think so. And I was sort of, for want of a better word, at the sort of cold face of, of the previous changes. And and you know, it was that was the coalition government. And I don't know if you remember sort of the whole Green Deal. And I think there was the sort of famous phrase by David Cameron called the green crap. And then we changed, we had a sort of big sort of policy change direction. I, I mean, I, I've actually been sort of quite positive over the last few years, you know, the whole sort of, I was actually thinking about this and I was going to sort of write on social media that it might be, you know, Theresa May's legal commitment, committing the country legally to meeting net zero might actually be one of the bigger political legacies um, and, and long lasting legacies, because it's going to be a 30 year journey. Um, you know, it's it's a legal commitment. And I've also seen a lot of commitment by government, you know, and, and I think we, we sort of often sort of forget that. But the 10 point plan and all the strategies we've had in, in this year as a rounding up towards this year and, and the commitment to sort of the net zero strategy. I can't see any sort of change of government trying to sort of A, unwind that and, and B, you know, it's a sort of legal commitment. But but for me, it, it seems like there's a lot of, you know, I mean, you, you're a cop, you, you all sort of know, know better than I do, but, but it does feel that there's a long-term direction of travel now. And then again, you know, we talked about the sort of phasing down of coal and, and, and you know, originally, you know, I think we wanted a you know most people wanted a stronger sort of commitment and i think i i said before that, that you know i can't remember the director of greenpeace who said 
uh, you know, even though the wording isn't exactly how we wanted the, the sort of, uh, you know, being under no mistake that the, you know, direction has been firmly set. And, and, and that's where I feel this policy is going. I feel we firmly committed to, to sort of net zero across the globe. It's it's a movement that I can only see getting stronger now, you know, like, again, caveat that you, you don't know what happens. Interestingly, you know, there's one sort of thing as you were talking about sort of, you know, the phasing down of coal instead of the phasing out of coal. I did feel that that phasing, you know, that, that sort of slight change in language might have been slightly watered down because of the energy crisis that, that we uh, we had and then questions about energy security. So, I, I, you know, I do think it's it's going to be a sort of topsy-turvy road, but we're definitely down the road. You know, I from, from my point of view, again, speaking from, from how I see this, net zero seems to be a sort of firm commitment. And uh, even though... You know, there might be a lot of things that we can't sort of foresee yet, you know, like different sort of technologies, et cetera. I, I do feel that, that the end destination is, is sort of fairly, fairly clear. And, and I can't see that that changing, in, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I think, you know, for all the the rather drawn out negotiations that took place at COP26 uh, at, at the, the intergovernmental stage. And understandably, you know, these things, as we said at the top of this this uh, podcast, it, you know, it requires, um, you know, some, some uh, you know, delicate choreography around what are going to be national uh, agenda that, that that UN members bring to to each COP each year. Um, I think it's inevitable that, that the, you know, that the direction has been set now. Um, uh, it, the COP26 outcome may not have suited everybody but i think if you you know read between the lines there was a clear a clear direction into the 2020s i think the other thing is that the private sector and civil society seem to be fairly united in in what they want to be doing anyway so if the politicians take a little bit longer to kind of uh, actually you know ink in the actual uh, the dots on the eyes and the, the the crossing of the t's then i think consumer power will i think continue to drive this and i think therefore business will respond so i think uh, yeah, as we said beforehand, some businesses are going to be able to absorb the changes they make and not pass those down to the consumers. Others will will, will struggle more, I suppose. Other businesses, SMEs in particular. Um, do you think, in terms of what standards can offer to SMEs, is that are there are there solutions there that 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 BSI has has been able to provide, and anything that we've we've got that. Uh, uh, we can offer to a, a, an organisation maybe working on it with a smaller turnover and a smaller staff, but still wanting to to make make the right sort of noises in terms of you know energy efficiency. Yeah, um, obviously we, we launched sort of fifty thousand and five, and then I think we supported base on the is it the climate hub? You'll probably know better than I do where we gave that standard away for free. But that's obviously a very sort of good place to start. Um, I think that there are, um, you know, we've got the net zero infographic, which gives that sort of in overview to, to SMEs on, on, on sort of where to start. Equally, I think, you know, we've got to challenge ourselves as well. And I think that there's more that we can do for SMEs and, and, and unpack this landscape sort of more. The transition to, to net zero isn't, um, isn't uh, you know, an easy one. But but I think, you know, that we have to bear in mind that it's 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 a sort of transition, right? And, and so when we looked at SMEs, and particularly with the net zero barometer, 99, I still can't believe the statistics, but 99% of uh, businesses are SMEs, which is, um, so so it's essential that, uh, you know, we, we sort of get, get SMEs on board. So I think we have to do more there. We've got, uh, you know, the, uh, a lot of collateral to sort of take those first steps, freely available 50,001 via the, the base climate hub, 
in yeah. uh, Little Book of Net Zero, the, you know, our, our sort of infographic, which sort of breaks that down and looks at, you know, the key standards. So, uh, you know, how you assess your footprint, how you reduce it, how you sort of offset any remainder and, and how you declare it obviously provides that sort of guidance. But but again, you know, I think for us, you know, as, as the national standards body, we, we've obviously made a lot of commitments. I think, net, you know, it will also be for us the year to move, you know, standards from, from climate change to sort of climate action. And, and so as we're sort of winding down this year and, and making sort of strategic plans for next year, um, you know, I, I think SMEs have to be sort of at the forefront of, of, of our thinking as well to say how can we make standards, uh, you know, um, usable and, and, and provide that sort of overview for SMEs. But there's definitely a, a, a lot out there already. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the information you've been talking about there is all available at the uh, the BSI Net Zero page, which is uh, bsigroup.com forward slash net zero hyphen UK. And that includes uh, the, the little book of Net Zero, the infographic, and I think also references to this um, uh, ISO on energy management for a more phased implementation, which means that SMEs can can work through it in a, in a more iterative style. So that's that's all available there. Um, and I think, as you said, we've, we've been doing a lot of work at BSI. BSI on, on helping to demystify, I think, um, really what it means uh, to be a net zero business. And that includes um, a, a white paper on climate neutrality as well, because again, some of these, these phrases get thrown around and it can confuse businesses, it can confuse consumers. And it, the point really, I guess I'm sort of wrapping up a little bit, you know, who pays? What we don't want to ha- have is, is, is greenwash where a consumer believes they actually are paying for you know, and putting their faith maybe in a, in a business that, or a brand that is claiming it's not what it is. And I think that's another reason where, uh, another place where, another reason why standards can really help by providing some more clarity there. I think just to kind of really wrap up, I mean, in, inevitably, um, you know, there's a degree of sort of pain and then gain, isn't there? Because I think the Committee for Climate Change has estimated that households will ultimately gain, uh, you know, trillions by 2050 in lower running costs. But obviously, there is that that initial hit, I suppose, that is going to be something which 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 hits us all. Um, so I suppose, it, by way of summing up, I think you know, standards and BSI. You know, uh, standards play a part in helping to kind of provide clarity, uh, and I think BSI. I would say has a really vital role to play here in in advising uh, government on 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 future policy uh, and where standards can 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 support um, you know uh, a, a a just transition, but also as you said, Seb, really providing those those tools and solutions that help to de-risk the the necessary investment made within industry. I mean, any other concluding thoughts? Yes, no, I I think sort of. Just repeating sort of sort of what we what we said, you know, like that there's opportunities and threats, and the opportunity is, you know, we 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 can bring sort of uh, you know absolutely sort of new economic opportunities, uh, but you know, obviously the threat is the cost of the sort of transition and the social inequality that that might bring. So for us, that sort of whole systems point of thinking is is sort of very important, particularly in the sort of wider energy system, right? Um, and then an early action, action uh, you know, like. Thinking this through right from an early stage can, can minimise any negative impacts. Again, reflecting wider societal views and taking those into account and, and, and getting consensus. You know, again, particularly in these sort of standards making process, but more broader on, on, on also, you know, like policy development, implementation and, and, and all of that. Reflecting, you know, those wider societal views and, and you know, if you're looking globally, global views is is absolutely essential in, in ensuring we, uh, we have a just transition. 
No, I'd agree with that. I think um, transparency is really important in this area, trust. And I think that's built upon really the consensus model of standards making, I think. So I think I said at the beginning, we wouldn't be uh, necessarily coming up with answers to who pays, but we'd, we'd you know, we'd, we'd kick the kick the ball around a bit between the two of us. And I think uh, I think we've given that a good, uh, a good wallop. Um, but I think standards certainly play a hugely important role here. And uh, hopefully you'll join us for the next uh, BSI, um, Big Sustainability Ideas podcast from BSI. But for now, that's it. Thank you. You've been listening to BSI's Big Sustainability Ideas podcast. To find out more about how BSI can support your business, visit www.bsigroup.com and download our little book of Net Zero as well as our annual Net Zero Barometer Report. Meanwhile, to hear more about the stories behind the standards, please also check out BSI's Education Podcast, which we highly recommend. Thank you and see you soon on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts.